as we continue our worship of our great God who loves us, pursues us. He's given us a love letter. That's 66 books of an amazing story of who he is, what he requires of us, how we can get to know him through his son. As a family, we have been going through a series in Nehemiah called Rise Up. Uh, we are in chapter 9 this morning. Uh, really, the, the whole sermon's based on the entire chapter. Uh, I've selected a few key verses to give us the feel of what God is communicating to us today. Uh, you'll see it on the screen. If you have your Bibles, uh, uh, follow along with me. But let me encourage each one of y'all. It's a, it's a holy day, a day God has for us. Um, maybe mark something in your Bible. Go back and read this chapter. Uh, maybe take the notes you have from this sermon and celebrate who this great God is. This is God's word. Nehemiah 9. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. Skipping to verse 6. You are the Lord. You alone. You have made heaven, the heavens of heaven, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord. The God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur and the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and you made, him, made with him the covenant to give to his offsprings the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the, Pe, the Prez, uh, Perizzite, the Jebusite, the Gerasite. And you have kept your promise for you are righteous. Verse 16. But they, our fathers, acted presumptuously and stiffened their necks and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you have performed among them. But they stiffened their necks and appointed a leader to return them to their slavery in Egypt. But you, you were a God ready to forgive gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. Even when they made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is our God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. You in your great mercy did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them day by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave them your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna for their mouths and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Verse 26. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you 
and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Verse 31. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not make an end of them or forsake them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. Now therefore our God, the great and mighty and awesome God who keeps covenant in steadfast love, let not all these hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princesses, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers, they have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom, enjoying your great goodness that you gave them and the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day. And the, and the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruits and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies, over our livestock, as they please. And we are in great distress. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, you truly are a God of wonders. A God of wonders who's created the universe by just speaking it into existence. And God, the wonder of all wonders is that you, a holy, good, eternal God, loves sinners. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you have truly done. It is indescribable. When we think of you, your character, we think of your works, God, we we can't conjure up words to, to describe your beauty and your worth and your majesty. Father, you lovingly call us into your presence. Come now and awaken us to your word. Show us the truth of who you are. God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, show us the truth of who we are. And God, through all of this, show us Jesus. So that we're able to do both, to see you and to see ourselves and to live. Give us eyes to see, open the eyes of our hearts, open our ears, our minds, and quicken our feet to walk in your truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, question for you this morning as we begin. Are you living a groundhog life? And some of you may say, what's a groundhog life? Uh, maybe you remember the Groundhog Day movie uh, Bill Murray starred in in the 90s. Uh, his name is the uh, actor, uh, Phil Connors. Uh, he was a weatherman out of Pittsburgh. He was grumpy. Uh, he had an attitude. He was self-centered. And uh, he was called to do a cover story uh, in Pennsylvania. How do you pronounce that name? Maybe remember? Punks at... That's it. Pennsylvania and, and cover a groundhog named Phil. And he didn't want to go. 
He's like, this story's beneath me. And this, I don't want to go to this little backward town and hear about this little rat. He called it uh, coming out of a hole to see if he found his shadow or not. Uh, man, I should be doing something better than this. And through the story that was pretty, pretty cleverly told, a curse came upon this Phil. And not only did he have to go, but a snowstorm uh, snowed him in. And he had to spend the night there in uh, Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. But when he woke the next day, it was Groundhog's Day. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And he never could get away from that one day. His whole life was basically living this one day over and over and over and over again. Literally driving him mad. Making him suicidal. Trying to do anything to stop this endless cycle of life. Just the boredom. Just the difficulty of life. Do you have a Groundhog's Day kind of life? How much does your life kind of cycle? Seem to wrestle with the same old stuff, getting involved in the same old sins, maybe having the same old arguments with your kids or your spouse, maybe the same old struggles with your station of life and how come I'm not this or, or that. Does your life sometimes feel like a groundhog's life? I mean, I think probably if we were honest, uh, we would say, yeah, so much of it. Uh, so much of the routine of life just seems so ridiculous, repetitive. How do, we, how do we break the chain? How do we truly live? How do we rise above a, a groundhog day kind of life? Well, Scripture is going to tell us how today. But it's interesting is as we steer, look into chapter 9 of Nehemiah, we're realizing that, that God's people were living a groundhog day kind of life. I mean, there were some amazing ruts in their life. There were some amazing patterns that happened over and over and over and over and over and over again. What what, what I loved about the ESV when it it tells us this story, it uses the word nevertheless. And chapter 9 is really a contrast in this Groundhog Day kind of life for God's people. It's a contrast to this word nevertheless. Because what it's going to do, and, and as you look at this story, chapter 9 is really, it's kind of like redemptive history. This whole story kind of tells, this whole chapter kind of tells in little micro uh, form the whole story of God's people to that point. I mean, did you hear what we read earlier and said, he is the creator God. He is the sustainer God. He has created all things out of nothing. He sustains all things. He provides for all things. Did you hear that says that he's a rescuing God, that he rescues his people out of slavery? He's a miracle working God. He divides the water. I mean, this God is a providing God. He he provides all things for his people. Did you hear what he said in God's word that, that they never lacked anything in the wilderness? Did you hear that? Do you know that every day that they woke up and God provided them this bread from heaven called manna? Do you know that he made water come out of a rock? Do you know he, he provided for him? And over and over and over again, throughout chapter 9, is a picture of who this God is. He's mighty. He's a warrior. He's compassionate. He's loving. He's gracious. He's forgiving. He's holy. He's wise. And really, we should read the whole chapter, and we should do what they did and spend at least a third of the day in worship and saying, what an amazing God we serve. What an amazing God that we can have the presence of knowing. And again, that God calls us into his presence. Amazing. 
But nevertheless, nevertheless, although their clothes didn't wear out, although their sandals didn't walk out, wear out walking through the desert for 40 years. Listen, how many new shoes have you gone through? Do you have any teenagers? How many new shoes do they go through? Can you imagine 40 years, nothing wearing out? Nevertheless, God provides. Listen, God wants to show, I'm with you. I love you. I care for you. I'm going to go with you. You're going to tangibly see a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. Is that not cool? Nevertheless, God is going to say, I'm going to destroy your enemies. Those who stand before you, those Egyptians, look at them today because I'm going to wipe them out. Isn't that amazing? God says, I'm going to take you to your own land and I'm going to give you a land. It's going to be flowing with milk and honey. Listen, when you get there, you're going to be able to eat grapes from vineyards you didn't plant. You're going to be able to drink great cool water from cisterns that you didn't dig. I'm going to give to you just not only land and identity, I'm going to give you to my name. I'm going to give you my glory. I'm going to give you my love. I'm going to possess you like nothing else in all the earth. Is that not amazing? And yet we hear throughout the entire chapter 9, nevertheless, it doesn't matter how amazingly good God is. It doesn't matter how much he provided for them. You know what knuckleheads we are? Nevertheless, they became stiff-necked, presumptuous, saying, God, I think my way's better. Nevertheless, Over and over and over again, the groundhog life they lived was a life of sin. Nevertheless, they said, I'm going to do my own deal. I'm going to go my own way. And isn't it really good news that nevertheless, God doesn't quit on them? God doesn't say, I'm just over you. I mean, maybe just we got to stop there for a moment and just say, isn't it amazing? Let's just sit right there for a second. That God doesn't look into our lives and say, I'm just over you. I mean, I've been over myself so many times. But the reality is, is nevertheless, no matter how we screw up and, and what we've got ourselves into and the ruts, this groundhog life that we have a tendency to live, nevertheless, our God loves and he lives and he forgives. But don't we want to break that? Don't we want to break that? Not that. Let's keep that. Don't we want to break our lives just completely repeating themselves? Now, here's, here's the struggle about this. So many times we read a story about what God does in the Old Testament, and we hear all these things. And you know what we do? We sit on the outside, and we look in, and we look for some nuggets to pull out. But what I want to challenge you is this. Don't just stand on the outside of the story and try to examine it. Because really, what was happening here was they were confessing their sins and the sins of their fathers. And when you look at them confess their sins and the sins of their fathers, guess what? They're your sins and they're my sins too. They really are. I mean, we're just like them. I mean, we, we, we have the same propensity to get in the same ruts, do the same thing. So if you're here today and you think you're going to hear a story of somebody else, you're missing it really because God has called us. He says all that was written yesterday was for us today. And really what I want you to do is jump into the story. Jump into the story so you can see your groundhog life. Jump into the story so you can see the beauty of God's amazing love. And see how I can change you. What he wants us to do at the end of this is really this. He wants us to have a a confession. That we as his people, those who he's chosen. He says he's a choosing God. Remember he said he chose Abram, gave him a new name, chose the Israelites. That's what our God is. He's a choosing God. And yet amazingly choose sinners like us. But he wants to choose us. And he wants us to be able to confess the truth of who he is. You see, he sent his son to rescue us so we'd be storytellers, his storytellers. He rescued us so that we would not only be brought in and made friends and family, but so the whole world could hear his story through us. That's pretty cool, isn't it? 
So we are the ones that God has chosen to confess the truth about who he is. Not only that, we're the ones he's chosen so we can confess the truth of who we are. Um, We're going to look at the confession of a community in peril. What are the things that that cause us to have a groundhog life, groundhog day life? What are the things that lead us to peril? Because unbelievably, look what happened at the end of chapter 9. Did you hear what happened? They were in great distress. Hold on a minute. Nehemiah seems to be a story of success. We've had great success in Nehemiah. I mean, wait a minute. If you were here last week, chapter 8 ended with them partying. And man, they were partying hard. Uh, They said that they were eating the the best food they could find, the sweetest wine. Why? Because they got under God's word. And as they were examining God's word, they realized the truth of themselves. And they began to sin and say, I'm not holy. I'm I'm broken and sinful. And if you were here last week, chapter 8 tells us some amazingly good news. They said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Today we're going to rejoice because why? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Here's what they say, in the midst of your groundhog day life, in the midst of your repeated sin, in the midst of all that you've done wrong, you ready for this? This holy God is your shelter. He's your protection. He's the one who loves you. So let's rejoice. He's provided for us a savior. So in the midst of all of our brokenness, in the midst of all that's undone, when we read God's word and we weep for all that we're not, see Jesus. And realize the joy of the Lord is our strength. Kind of, a, kind of a weird change. It went from really, really partying to really, really weeping in one chapter. Have you had that in your life? Was yesterday maybe a, a difficult day? Just before that was a great one? It's amazing how life has a way of doing that. Well, God has called us to contrast these two communities. If you want to follow along your bulletin, there's an outline for you. Remember, I want to strongly urge you, resist the temptation of being looking at the story uh, from somebody else's standpoint of view. Jump in and let God show you your own sin, show your own story. The first one is this, confessions of a community in peril. In the midst of all that was going right, the temple's been rebuilt, the wall's been rebuilt, the people are gathering back in God's uh, uh, holy city of Jerusalem. In the midst of all that's gone right, guess what? They're still feeling enslaved. They're still feeling like, uh, you know, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not how we really thought life would be. We're going to ask why. Why? How could God's people uh, feel that way? And then what we need to do is look at two things. The root We need to look at the root and the fruit of theirs and our problem. What was the root of their problem? And what was the fruit? It might surprise you. All right, let's go. The root of their problem. They were unthankful and discontent. Did you hear me? The root of their problem is that they, like us, were unthankful and they were discontent. Because they were God's people and had so much blessing upon them, and yet they were unthankful to God, discontent in God, they sinned. The fruit of that root was sin. The fruit of that was rebelling against God and looking to find their life, their joy, their meaning apart from God. And because of that, they found themselves in exile from God. The Bible tells us amazingly good news, but we got to start with the bad news to really enjoy the good news. And here's some bad news. Do you know that on our very best day, on mankind's very, very, very best day, we lusted for more. 
So maybe some of you right now are sitting here thinking, man, I have a hard time controlling my worldly appetite. I have a hard time beating some of my addictions. I find out I'm in a groundhog day kind of life because it's over and over again. This, this lust is amazing. I want you to know that on our very best day, when God created man in his image, holy, with a disposition to know and to love God, when God created Adam and Eve, he placed them in paradise. Not only did he place them in paradise, he had a relationship with them that was unbroken by sin. You ready for this? Not only could they enjoy all of God's creation before a curse, not only that, they enjoyed God. They could walk with him in the cool of the evening. They could stand before a holy God face to face. But there's even more than that. They were given reign and rule over all of creation as God's image. All of creation, if you will, submitted to what God put in authority, man and woman. They had access to everything in paradise, except one thing. One forbidden fruit. And do you know that although man on his best day had a relationship with a holy God and he ruled and reigned over creation, do you know on his best day, although he had all of God's goodness, he lusted for more. I want that forbidden fruit. I want that one thing that God said, no, it's going to kill me. And do you know that that lusting led to sin? Do you know that that sin led us to believe Satan's lies more than God's truth? And ever since then, we have been banished out of God's presence. They wanted more. Why? You ready for this? They thought they deserved more. They lusted for better. I think that we do too. That ungrateful heart that lusts for more will always lead us to sin. So what is it? It's confession of a community in peril. What did they do wrong? We're going to see these things throughout this verse. Let me quickly go through this. First of all, they didn't separate themselves from the world in verse 2. Do you know that a community in peril is a community of God who says, although God, you made us your own, you have set us apart. We're your particular holy, chosen, royal priesthood kind of people. But really, we long to be like everybody else. We're going to lust for the other nations. And Ezra and Nehemiah, the way we see this through marriages. They were given their wives and their sons to marry foreigners who, who, who sacrificed their kids to gods, their, to false gods. Their, their grandchildren are going to be susceptible to that. Well, here's what, here's what God's people are doing. They, they didn't want to be like different. They wanted to be like the world. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus came to rescue you and shed his life for you, do you have a passion to live a holy life apart from him? How much of your life, how much of my life looks just like the world's? How much of what we pursue, how much of what we talk about, how much of what we think about is the same as the world's? You see, a community in peril is when God sets us apart and we long to go right back and just keep a paper-thin distinction between who God's people is and who the world is. It's a confession of a community in peril. Not only that, they didn't keep God's word above them and in front of them. In verse 26, it's interesting to see what they said about God's word. Did you, did you catch it? They put it behind their back. They didn't want to see it. They didn't want to hear about God's law. They didn't want to hear about what God would have for them or what God requires of them. Why? Because they thought they had a better way. 
God had given them his love letter, but they said, no, no, we don't want to live that way. Where is God's word in your life? Where is God's word in this community? We always have to have it before us, above us, because we're always going to wander. A uh, community in peril is one that puts it behind God's back. A community in peril will always pick wrong leaders. Did you see? Did you hear what they did? I mean, God had amazingly brought them out of slavery, amazingly opened up a sea in which they're going to pass through. God amazingly loves them and provides for them, but they didn't really like the taste of manna. They were worried and they were, they were uh, sick of wandering. So he said, let's get some other leaders to follow us back. We've got to be careful and make sure that we pick godly leaders. And let me ask, who are you following? And what's your ultimate destination? I mean, have we set our faces like Flint that one day we're going to see Jesus and we want to live that way today? Have we set our faces like Flint to say, God has rescued us today and he's going to bring us home tomorrow. And our destination is, is seeing his face in the new heavens and new earth and glory. Are we following after leaders that will point us to him in that reality? Are we just like the world saying we kind of want to go back to Egypt? They made false gods. I mean, somehow, ridiculously, God's people made a, a golden calf, and they said, now that's the God who brought us out of Egypt. And all of us sit here and think, how can you be so stupid? I mean, really? You're knuckleheads. We are much more sophisticated than them, aren't we? I mean, our idols, there's no one here is going to go home and make a golden calf and worship it tonight. I promise you. I mean, if you do, wow. We're going to worship our children. We're going to worship our careers. We're going to worship our names. We're going to worship our own identities. See, our idols are, are much easier to hide and much easier for society to accept than their idols. I mean, come on, a golden calf. But, you know, a community in peril is a community that allows idols, those things that we set our affections and our heart on above God, those things that we worship above God, those things that we follow above God. And we got to be a community that if we follow those things, we'll be in peril. They made false gods. What false gods are you making? In verses 25 and 26, it's interesting. They love the gifts of God more than the giver. I love verse 25 in, in a way that really convicted me. They said they went into the promised land. Listen, they ate the good stuff. They really enjoyed it. And they really enjoyed it. But you know what they never did? They never pointed back and said, thank you to God. They consumed. Man, are we consumers. And they loved the gifts. They didn't love the givers. How is it with you? you? You know a great test to know if you love the gift of the giver? Here's a great test. If a gift is taken away from you, how do you respond? If something changes, a status in life or, or uh, health, or if something changes in life, how do you feel about God? Is there a change in your relationship with him? I'm ashamed to tell you too often there is. I love God passionately as long as I have God's good gifts. When God messes with them, I start getting a little angry and wonder, what are you doing, God? And you see, a community in peril is a community that basically uh, uh, loves God's gifts, but doesn't love the giver. And what does that all do? It enslaves us and it causes us to be in great distress. What's enslaving you today? What's causing you to be in great distress what in your life can parallel these things? Have you separated yourself from the world? Have you kept God's word before you? Are you following the right leaders? Do you have false gods? 
Well, then there's a confession of a community in triumph. What do they do? They confess a, a true, a community in triumph is a community that knows two things. The reality of who God is and the reality of who they are. And they confess the truth of this great God. Do you know that God wants this world filled with his glory? Do you know he wants to use you to do it? Do you know of all the things in this world that you are, you and me as his children are the primary ambassadors to tell of his love story? That we're here to tell of his truth and to say he's a great creator God. Is he a great rescuing redeemer God? Is he faithful and just? And this God also wants us to tell, confess the truth about ourselves. To say that, you know what? We have Groundhog Day lives and we sometimes love them. Repeatedly do we get ourselves in trouble. Repeatedly do we wander. Repeatedly are we sinful and wicked and disobedient and ungrateful. See, the power of Jesus Christ and the story of the Bible is this, is that we have good news in the gospel. That Jesus came to rescue all of us trapped in Groundhog Day. Trapped in our ruts of our lives and our sin. And, and, and Jesus came to reveal the truth of who we are by becoming our sin. And the truth of who his father is. And now we have the great privilege of confessing the truth about God. At the same time, confessing the truth about ourselves. Why? Because we're loved and we're forgiven. And we're set free. Do you get it? Do you understand what the gospel has the power to do? The gospel has the power to to do this, to have you and me look inward to our life and see all the brokenness, all the depravity, all the ways that we wander away from God and know he still loves us. He rescues us. He's for us. And now we can tell the world the truth. I'm a broken sinner, but man, am I free? I don't have to be enslaved any longer. I can live a free life because I'm robed in Christ's righteousness. Man, the blood of the Lamb covers me. There is a true God and He is just and merciful. And man, have I not experienced it. And oh, how I long to live a holy life. And yes, I want to set my face like Flint and pursue hard after Him. But you know, I can live my life and as a community, we're called to live our lives confessing that truth in all that we do. God is good. Look at me. Not that I'm anything. I'm broken like you. But man, am I cleansed and forgiven. That's a community that's been set free from Groundhog Day life. That's a community that God wants to hold up and say, that's a city on a hill. That's a community that I want to shine because they know the truth about me. They know the truth about themselves and they have Jesus right in the middle that puts us together and says there's hope in Christ Jesus. Do you know that power? The power to set you free. Are you confessing the truth about God in your life? Are you telling a story? Are you conf- confessing the truth about yourself? Are you confessing your sins? We want to help you in every way to do that. One of the things we're doing, launching these community groups to get you together under God's word, give you an opportunity to confess the truth of who you are and, and be loved on and remind one another of the gospel so our world can see this. We've got an amazing story to tell. Let's tell it and confess the truth of our God and who we are in him. Let us pray. Father, as Jack said earlier and as we sung, you know the truth about us. Nevertheless, you love us just the same. Father, we have not only lived Groundhog Day lives that repeat patterns of sin, but truth is we've loved it to some extent. 
But Jesus, you've come to set us free. You've come for us to truly live. And God, I pray that the power of God, the gospel would come and come and break our hearts that we'd be able to confess that in so many ways we've set up false gods. In so many ways we've pursued after wrong leaders. In so many ways we're just like the world. Holy Spirit, fall on us right now. Fall upon us. Convict us that we we live like a community in peril. And you've called us to be a community in triumph. Holy Spirit, would you, because you love the Father's glory, come to this community with power. Cleanse us of our sins. Forgive us afresh so we can tell the truth of your story and ours. In Christ's name, amen.